series of images, like a gritty black and white film, disjointed, a little surreal. The bus, blacked out, crawling, lights dimmed through the unlit waste of the countryside, under a reeling moon. The tall figure of my cousin coming forward out of the darkness to greet me at the terminus, sitting beside him, rug-wrapped in his sports car, as we drove through the darkened villages through a sudden swirl of snow, but one image is clear and magical. My first sight of Stutley Manor. It loomed up out of the darkness, a stark shape against a grey sky pierced with a few high stars, and then the moon moved from behind a cloud, and the house was revealed. Beauty, symmetry, and mystery, bathed in white light. Five minutes later I followed the small circle of light from Paul's torch through the porch with its country paraphernalia of walking sticks, brogues, rubber boots and umbrellas, under the blackout curtain and into the warmth and brightness of the square hall. I remember the huge log fire in the hearth, the family portraits, the air of shabby comfort and the mixed bunches of holly and mistletoe above the pictures and doors, which were the only Christmas decoration. My grandmama came slowly down the wide wooden stairs to greet me, smaller than I had remembered, delicately boned and slightly shorter even than my five feet three inches. But her handshake was surprisingly firm, and looking into the sharp, intelligent eyes at the set of the obstinate mouth so like my mother's, I knew that she was still formidable. I was glad I had come, glad to meet for the first time my only cousin, but my grandmother had in one respect misled me. There was to be a second guest, a distant relation of the family who had driven from London earlier and arrived before me. I met Roland Maybrick for the first time when we gathered for drinks before dinner, in a sitting room to the left of the main hall. I disliked him on sight and was grateful to my grandmother for not having suggested that he should drive me from London. The crass insensitivity of his greeting... You didn't tell me, Paul, that I was to meet a pretty young widow, reinforced my initial prejudice against what, with the intolerance of youth, I thought of as a type. He was in the uniform of a flight lieutenant, but without wings. Wingless wonders, we used to call them. Darkly handsome, full-mouthed under the thin moustache, his eyes amused and speculative. A man who fancied his chances. I had met his type before, and hadn't expected to encounter it at the manor. I learned that in civilian life he was an antiques dealer. Paul, perhaps sensing my disappointment at finding that I wasn't the only guest, explained that the family needed to sell some valuable coins. Roland, who specialised in coinage, was to sort and price them with a view to finding a purchaser. And he wasn't only interested in coins. His gaze ranged over furniture, pictures, porcelain and bronze. His long fingers touched and caressed as if he were mentally pricing them for sale. I suspected that, given half a chance, he would have poured me and assessed my second-hand value. My grandmother's butler and cook, indispensable small-part characters in any country-house murder, were respectful and competent, but deficient in seasonal goodwill. My grandmother, if she gave the matter any thought, would probably have described them as faithful and devoted retainers, but I had my doubts. Even in 1940 things were changing. Mrs. Seddon seemed to be both overworked and bored, a depressing combination. 
while her husband barely contained the lugubrious resentment of a man calculating how much more he could have earned as a war worker at the nearest RAF base. I like my room, the four-poster with its faded curtains, the comfortable low chair beside the fire, the elegant little writing desk, the prints and watercolours, fly-blown in their original frames. Before getting into bed, I put out the bedside light and drew aside the blackout curtain. High stars and moonlight. A dangerous sky. But this was Christmas Eve. Surely they wouldn't fly tonight. And I thought of women all over Europe drawing aside their curtains and looking up in hope and fear at the menacing moon. I woke early next morning, missing the jangle of Christmas bells, bells which in 1940 would have heralded invasion. Next day the police were to take me through every minute of that Christmas, and every detail remains clearly in my memory more than fifty years.